Hello and welcome to Silencing Women in the Name of God. I am so excited you're here today. My guest is an old college roommate. Uh, Kat is just an amazing human all the way around the board. And I was so excited because in our pre-interview, she actually brought up uh, the lack of female friendships due to her highly religious upbringing, how that affected her and how that affected her silencing. And I'm going to be honest, I kind of kicked myself a little because as she started talking about this, I thought, why have I not put these pieces together as part of my own silencing? Because this is something I have absolutely lived and am just now starting to really unravel both the effects of this and how to integrate beautiful, healthy female relationships into my life. Kat does such a beautiful job breaking down what this looks like, how it affected her personally, and the benefits that she's had as she has found wonderful women to surround herself with. So sit back and enjoy. I think you all are going to be just as thrilled to hear what Kat has to say as I was. Silent, she was silent. But she'll carry her pain no more. Hi, Kat. Hi, Debbie. I am so excited to have you here today. Um, so, Kat, we've known each other. Well, we've known each other forever and then had a huge gap where we haven't spoken in, oh, my God, what? like 20, 20 years or yeah. something, 20, 20 years. Um, so Kat and I were roommates at the illustrious Ricks College, now known as BYU-Idaho. Um, do you feel embarrassed to actually say that to people? Because I do. Okay, good. <laughs> and I've been called out on it, and I'm like, For real, people are like, where'd you go to college? And I'm like, um... And and for for people who are listening, my cat, I assume we have the same reason. It's not that the college is bad. Like, I just want to clarify that. It's just that it's a Mormon college. Neither of us are Mormon anymore. And so it's this very awkward, like. Right. And then it's like, oh, you're, you're not Mormon, are you? I'm like, yeah. well, no, but I was, you know, it's just this long conversation yes. story then, right? Yes, it is. It's so, it's so awkward. And for me, especially if, if a Mormon person asks, it's almost more awkward for me because then I can't just leave it at that and think maybe they don't know. You know what I mean? Right. Like I have mm -hmm. to do the whole, well, I went to BYU, but like, I'm not a member of the church anymore, which then is awkward for everybody. And yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Agree. <laughs> But yes, we were roommates during that time of my life, which that particular semester was really rough for me because I don't know if you remember, like my health was going crazy. I was on massive amounts of prednisone for like, I was, my eyes, I was going blind. Like it was just not a good year for me. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know how living with me was at that point. And I don't even know if I want to ask because I was. You were, you were great. A little crazy. Remember, we danced to Copacabana in your bedroom. Like, <laughs> I'm like, wait, I, fun. I don't remember. I remember you being so fun and me being like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to be fun. 
<laughs> Seriously, I was talking on another, I can't remember who I was talking to on a different episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was telling them that a few years ago, I literally had a fun coach. Like, I don't know how to have fun. It's a, th- I'm, yeah, yeah. So this gal like volunteered. Like, she's like, I will teach you. I don't think it went as well as she hoped that it would go. I really suck. <laughs> I'm like, you want to sit around and talk about deep topics and psychology? Like, I am your girl. Like, don't take yeah. me to a hockey game. Okay. Like, I just, I don't know how to handle it. <laughs> Okay. Everybody has their strengths. Exactly. And people like you were fun and like <laughs> wild and I'm like ah! <laughs> It's fine. <laughs> it was like a I really feel like it was a a challenge to be like how much fun can I have? Like yeah. how many within the boundaries like I'm like well I don't feel like I'm going to be punished for staying out past curfew in college, because that's not really a like a God rule. But as long as I'm not having sex, I'm good, right? Right? Like it was like this constant tightrope that I was right. walking at that time. I remember that about you. Yeah, where it definitely that's the perfect term, tightrope is yes, like what can I what can I do without like going to hell. And I love that you said that's not a God rule. And also for anyone who is confused, yes, BYU Idaho completely has curfew and still does for college adults <laughs> and all sorts of rules about boys being like nowhere else except the living room and oh just yes all sorts of things that are very not college like for yeah. anyone else. So I think I purposefully got the first floor apartment so I could climb out the window. Did I know that you were climbing out? The, I don't know if I knew that you were climbing out the window. I was climbing out the window. <laughs> <laughs> and I love this. They would have people in like the entryway checking yes. periodically. So you never knew if they were there or not. So yes. you know, to, to be safest so you wouldn't get caught. I, I, think I, learned, I think I got caught and learned the hard way. So I was like, well, I'm going out the window then. I love that um, <laughs> you planned that. Like, okay, I need first floor. <laughs> so that oh my god you are so funny oh that was it was so long ago so so long ago Mm -hmm. oh we're not getting old I'm sure of it no not at all (laughs) okay so I'm going to I'm going to read your bio um here and so everyone else can know you, I mean, seriously, you've done some cool, you've done some cool stuff. So, okay. So Catherine or Kat, as her friends call her, was born and raised in Wisconsin. She was raised Mormon in Wisconsin. There weren't a lot of Mormons. Um, that, along with many other factors, made her feel like a fish out of water during her formative years. Kat has a bachelor's in exercise and sports science from the University of Wisconsin and an associate degree in the Russian language uh, in 1999. At the age of 21, Kat joined the Marines, and she served until 2003 as a Russian linguist, which I had no idea until 10 minutes ago that you spoke Russian. So, yeah, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Why Russian? Yes, mm. <laughs> Why Russian? Uh, they picked it for me. Oh, the military just said mm-hmm. Russian. Yes, yes. Did you have to... So they, like, 
this has nothing yeah, was, to do with the sorry. podcast. No, I'm yeah. just curious. Like, do they? Was there a test involved? Of like you? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So you, you there's a um, test called the D Lab that if you want to um, become go into the linguistics field, you take it, and so it tests your aptitude. It, it essentially uses in, you know the English language letters and creates a new language pretty much on the spot for you to like see how quickly you catch on to it oh wow I would probably not do well okay (laughs) we can put you in and like let let the military decide where to put you and at least I've made a lot of bad decisions for sure but at least I had the wherewithal to be like I don't think that's a good idea I think I need to choose like Right. So, so you okay? Wait. So I'm confused. So did you pick it or did you? Oh, you meant the linguistics program. You chose. Yes. Okay. As opposed to yeah. just wherever. Mm-hmm. Oh. A lot of people enlist with you know they're just they're just like okay whatever the military needs right now we'll like we'll we'll just go do it and so um, but there are other like like the linguistics program and other programs you can take other tests to see if you can get in. So luckily I did okay on that test and I got into that program. Very cool. Not super significant for what we're about to talk about, but so cool that I was like, I have to, I have questions. Okay. (laughs) Everyone's like, okay, cool. She speaks. I think it's cool that you speak Russian. Um, Okay. Not so much anymore. I think I've almost exhausted everything I know. Have you that one word? Oh, that is so (laughs) frustrating. I um when I was on my mission, mid (laughs) mid mission, I got a call during transfer time, which is actually really bad because it was the president and the president doesn't call for transfers. Um Mm -hmm. and he was like, I'm gonna put you in the sign language program. And I was like, I don't know sign language. He was like, You'll be fine. So like I got completely dropped in to the sign language program for like, and I only stayed there. I can't, how long was it? Six weeks, eight weeks. Um, but I learned quite a lot in that period of mm-hmm. time. Cause it's baptism by fire for lack of a better word. Right. And, uh, my husband kind of learned it as well. Cause I can't remember why I think he just decided he wanted to, cause we, mm-hmm. we met on our mission. I don't know if I told mm-hmm. you that. Um, and so we used, yeah, so we used to to sign to each other and mm-hmm. I have lost, yes, like I, I remember almost nothing. And it is so sad because it, it was cool to be able to, yeah, to do really. that. I, yours would probably come back pretty quickly though, I would imagine if you mm-hmm. actually like. If I tried. Yeah, if you um, tried or had any desire. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. I work on my Spanish instead if I'm going to work on something. Of course, you also speak Spanish. She speaks Spanish, too. <laughs> you did say trilingual, and then I forgot to ask, like, what the third was. Okay, so English, Spanish, Russian. Very, very cool. You feel you run into the need for Spanish more than Russian? <laughs> of course. And it's, you know, it connects me with my with my culture. because My mom's from Uruguay, and so that's right. it's a lot more meaningful to me to work on, you know. to speak Yeah, Spanish. that makes sense. That makes sense. I have a pull toward German, um, mm-hmm. but my mom was adopted from Germany. And so I've always mm-hmm. had this uh, interest and, and desire to kind of learn more about that. So that makes total mm-hmm. sense to me. Okay, Kat, let's get into it. Okay. Okay, so we're going to start okay. with um, 
tell us kind of about how you were raised, like your home life, what your reality was, what your expectations were as a, a Mormon woman growing up. Uh, just so, to set the stage as we move forward for kind of yeah. how things played out from there. Yeah. Um, my home life, I think, was, you know, great. I know that my parents did their very best and they um, were very loving and very protective. And so um, with that, there was a lot of um, sheltering. That, that happened in my childhood along and on top of that, there was this very deeply religious um, tenet to all, all of those things. And so um, as we, you know, we, we had a conversation before the, you know, the, this recording and there was a lot of discussion about perfection mm-hmm. and, um, lots of very high expectations. So that was definitely, um, part also part of my upbringing. Um, so we had very specific expectations as a family. Like if we, our family and our family, we do music and that's what we do. Mm. So there were no other opportunities to do sports and part of that or sports or other, you know, other things that we might be interested in. Um, now that I'm older and a little bit wiser, I think that was probably like, they didn't want to say we can't afford that. We don't have time for that. Um, because it's probably a little embarrassing. Um, it was definitely was for them. Like, I I, I feel like for me, I'm like, I'm not paying for that. (laughs) You know, if my daughter wants to do a traveling soccer team, I'm like, no, I'm not paying for that. Right. So, right. you know, you're not doing it. So, um, you know, that, that sort of sheltered, um, upbringing, I would say almost like leave it to beaverish in, in many ways. Um, but then behind the curtain, it was very different on how, how that all plays out for someone actually experiencing that when they grow up. Right. Because you, you know, you're, you're constantly parading yourself in front of people, um, in competition. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that, you know, defined a lot of my life. And I think that, you know, why did I choose the Marines? Cause there was the hardest thing. It was the hardest thing I could find. The closest thing to perfection that I could find in my mind because I didn't know anything about it. Right. So, you know, growing, growing up, watching my mom do the same, um, really not having an opportunity to connect with other women because it was, it felt like so, so many or not so many, like everybody was competing against each other. And then it just continued, you know, that relief society, who's wearing the nicest clothes, who's the most righteous, who's the most, you know, who's the most whatever. Yeah. Let's, Um, I'm going to define relief society for anyone who is not Mormon really quick. And then I want to actually talk about, um, what you are 
are leaning into a little bit here because I think that this does happen in a lot of churches, but I think Mormonism is at the top of the list. Like maybe not number one. I don't know enough to say that for sure, but it is, it is very intense in Mormonism, this, Mm -hmm. this perfectionism that you're talking about. So uh, first of all, Relief Society, for those of you who don't know, Mormonism, uh, well, oh shoot, they're down to two hours. When we were there, it was a three hour meeting on Sunday. You would have sacrament meeting at the first, which is like the general congregational meeting. Uh, And then you would have Sunday school, which is men and women are meeting together. And then for the third hour, the men and women would separate. Uh, The men would go to priesthood and the women would go to relief society where we were taught by women and surrounded only by women. Um, And the on paper sounds lovely, right? Like it's like Mm -hmm. this support, support system. And it can be like, there are a lot of people that get a lot of value out of Relief Society. There are systems within there to support people. And I don't want to say that it's, you know, never served any good purposes because it absolutely has. But what you're talking about is this rampant need within the Mormon culture for perfectionism. And I think that I want to hear what your opinion is on where you saw it coming from, from your mother. I know for me, as I look back, I, I, it's fascinating how people's brains works because we talk so much in Mormonism about certain scriptures, such as like, be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, for listeners, if you're like, that's not in the Bible, it very likely is in the book of Mormon. I can't remember which set of scriptures these come out of. Um, But, and when you read that, like we understand logically, like, oh, we, we should be righteous. Right. But that's not how it translates in Mormonism and Mormonism. It's become this culture of quite literally perfectionism in all things. Like we have to look a certain way. We have to dress a certain way. Our homes have to be a certain way. Like the expectation load is absolutely ridiculous. And what you just said, I, I know exactly what you're talking about with Relief Society and everyone, like who can have the nicest dress, right? Like who looks the best because somehow that translates over into righteousness, which is absurd, but that is, that is the culture. So, um, Talk a little bit more about like what that looked like for you and what you, yeah, witnessed through Mm -hmm. your mom. Cause I know when we talked, Mm -hmm. you had mentioned um, some experiences that you had through that too. Sure. Sure. And to also, I think to add to what you said, um, I, I feel like it's, it's not just, it doesn't begin when you're an adult. It begins very, very young. And like children are paraded around at church. Oh, yes. Um, and the, I mean, even just like the cost of buying all of the little dresses and suits for the boys mm-hmm. and the, you know, the dresses for the girls and their hair has to be done perfectly and have yeah. these beautiful braids and all yeah. of these like, and if that isn't done, I remember like people saying something like, are you okay? <laughs> or yeah. like, there's something wrong if your kid has a snotty nose yeah, and their hair isn't done perfectly. So it's yeah. not just, you know, when you get a little bit older, like the, the these tiny kids are getting these messages. Mm-hmm of you have to look a certain way in order to meet the expectations of not just your peers, but 
you know, the people that, that, that are in charge. And so, um, I definitely felt that I felt a lot of pressure to always look, you know, even at a, at a young age, I remember getting, um, you know, stressed about having a snag in my tights or something, you know what I mean? All of these little things that really shouldn't matter for little girls that, you know, you know, there's a snag in my tights. I can't handle it. Yeah. What, what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, and I think because I, you know, my, my, you know, I, I'm going to say my poor mother, I'm sure she'd be like, don't say my poor mother, but, but my poor mother who was trying her hardest to fit in, like I said, she's from Uruguay. So she talks differently than everybody else. Mm-hmm. It's a very different uh, upbringing than everybody else and is trying desperately to fit in. And I remember going to a friend's house. Um, we were invited over and she was always asked to bring a pie because her pies were awesome and they were really, really good. And, um, but I will never forget when we walked up to that door and my mom hands this woman the pie. And the first thing she does is lift it up and look at it for cracks. She inspected my mother, you know, somebody who made a goddamn pie for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and inspects it. And she's like, Oh, no cracks, just like I thought. Right. You know, and, and, and what that woman didn't, maybe she didn't know, maybe she thought it was a joke. Um, but the amount of stress that my mom experienced in making that dish for that party, for that gathering was immense. And I know it, it doesn't matter. I don't need to be good at making pies, but as an adult for a long time, I was like, Oh, I can't make a pie. That's too hard. It's like every time my mom made a pie, it was like stressed. Like so stressed. I don't want any of that. And finally one of my friends was like, this is easy. And everybody like freaks out when you make a pie and they're cheap, like learn how to make pie. It's great. Like everybody loves it. Right. Um, but for, you know, many, many years, I wouldn't even try because it seemed so hard to me. Well, because everything's hard when you have to be perfect. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's actually something that doesn't get addressed is the toxicity in a perfectionism environment, not only because of the sheer amount of stress and impossibility of the situation, but how many people don't try new things and don't like reach out into two things that would probably light their soul up because, oh my God, we have to be perfect. And the fear of failure gets so wrapped up into your self-esteem that your your survival can't handle failing. Cause like, and I I have a whole thing around this that I'm not gonna get into right now because that's not what we're talking about. But like when when you are a failure instead of failing in mm-hmm. something, right? It changes everything. And how simple and easy was it to move from that place when you're raised in perfectionism, right? Because it's not like you're stressed about your tights as if somehow that makes you a failure because that's exactly what it felt like. It did. It did. And I didn't feel comfortable going to church with, with, with snag tights. And, 
uh, you know, unfortunately for me, that certainly bled into every aspect of my life. And, um, and I witnessed it obviously, you know, affecting my mother too, you know, that, that competition, especially with other women, um, it was just so harmful in so many ways. And I just, what's interesting to me is that I don't ever remember being taught, like nobody ever said other women aren't your friends. Right. They're not really your friends. They're your competition. You have to be, you have to appear to be nice. You have to appear to um, be friendly you have to welcome these people into your home with, um, you know, their home teaching. So, you know, in the, in the church, they have people, a, a pair of women and separately a pair of men come and give you a lesson. You all give it to each other. And so then it becomes this competition of who delivers the lesson better. Right. And your house has to be, yeah. Yeah. Your house has to be perfect when they come over and then your children have to behave perfectly yes. when they come over. And so, you know, I, I have experienced a lot of, you know, angst over having just having people over. Like it's, it used to be feel impossible to have people in my home because right. it was so stressful. There was so much pressure. And so I've had to like, work through a lot of that stuff. And, and I still like my bedroom is off limits. Like I don't, unless you are a really, really, really close friend, you don't see my bedroom. The doors are closed. Like little kids. I'm like, Nope, that Nope. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Go somewhere else. Right. Right. Doesn't matter what it looks like, but that's like, I have to keep something off limits to, to maintain my sanity. Yeah. Right. Well, the, and I totally understand the worst thing you can do to my mother. And I have spent years untraining this in me because I was the same because mm -hmm. I learned it. The worst thing you could do to my mother is show up at her house unannounced. I mean, like that is a sin next to murder because it is so stressful for her. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's like, oh, I don't look good. Right. My makeup isn't on. My hair isn't done. Yeah. My house isn't perfect. And it. Yeah, that that stress level of perfectionism completely shuts down. And you know what's interesting? You mentioned the competition with other women. Because mm -hmm. you're right, it's not spoken. It's never said out loud, be better than everyone else. It's said in all of the actions, right? There's something exactly. wrong. Like you have a snag in your tights, your hair isn't done perfectly. Um, you know, you didn't respond with absolute kindness. Your bag has a scratch in it. I mean, like, and I know that there will be Mormon people who were like, that's not true. And if they didn't experience that, that's fantastic. Awesome. Exactly. Um, but I find it interesting because I do think that this is more prevalent in um, the higher LDS areas, but you were yeah. not in a high LDS area and it still was there. Like it's, it, oh, yeah. the culture comes from the doctrine. It just does. And so it, it leaks in no matter what, but where I was going with that was, I think the competition part partially comes in because you have, so you have this comparison thing, but you also have the need to be completely fake at all times to maintain the perfectionism. We can't have problems. We can't disagree. 
we can't be upset about anything. And so then there's no depth of relationship formed. There's nothing real to stand on. And again, there will be exceptions. People have very good friends within the Mormon religion, but like Mm -hmm. there, there is such a silencing that happens around your own reality that then you can't form those deeper friendships. And so of course it just turns in to competition. I mean, would you agree? What do you like? Oh, I completely agree. And on top of, on top of the, you know, the persona that you must keep, right. Um, when you're at a Mormon institution, it gets even worse because it was like a race to get married. Oh yeah. And everybody at church, all the girls are looking at the boy, like, which ones are the return missionaries? Which ones are the marryable yep. ones? Like, I don't want to wait around for a return missionary. Or, 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 or some people are like, well, I want to go on a mission too. I want to find somebody who's not a return. Like, like all of these right, because- really complicated scenarios, which are not useful for anybody coming, going through your head when you're at church. Right. Well, and heaven forbid that we be taught that we should look for a man who treats us well, who is kind, who like we can sit around and have conversations with, but that is not what we're taught. We are taught to check a box on the perfectionism list. And that is you must marry a return missionary. Um, Eagle Scout. Eagle. Yeah. Oh yes. Yes. Like he needs to have his Eagle Scout. Cause that shows what type of human being he is instead of the fact that his parents told him he couldn't have a car or a license until he got it, you know, like it's so right. ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it is, it's, it's, it's get married, get married rapidly, but get married to perfection. It has mm-hmm. to tick all the boxes. It doesn't matter if he is the most amazing, brilliant, kind person in the entire world if he decided a mission wasn't for him there's something inherently wrong with him which is so fucked up it really is and then i don't know if you remember but um i can i can find it for you if you need corroboration to this but um it was like it was found out that um, the the Mormon church or like, and, and the educational institution was funneling the return missionaries to BYU in Provo and limiting the amount of return what? missionaries to, yes, because we found this out, like, and my mom was so mad. She was so angry. She was so angry that I went to, Be- to Rick's college because she just thought that if I would have gone to BYU, I would have found that man to marry and would have found, like, I would have stayed on the path. And she was mad at my dad for encouraging me to do the thing that I felt, because I, I knew I wasn't ready. Really, I wasn't ready for college. I should have taken a gap year or or two. Like, right. Okay, wait, so... So, oh my, I, my brain is blowing up. One, I would love if you could send me the information I'll see if I can find it. so yeah. I can so I can stick it in like yeah the show notes for people. Yeah, but so so basically, okay, I'm just gonna for for anyone who's not following or especially for those who are not Mormon, I I want to just set this up in a nice neat little ladder. So yeah. you and correct me if I hit any of these ladder points incorrectly. So you go to college, you decide to go to, to Rick's, which is BYU, Idaho, but you yeah. decide to go to Rick's college 
Um, later you end up leaving the church, joining the military, not getting married right away. And your mother figures out that Rick's had a lower percentage of return missionaries than BYU Provo, meaning that your pool of potential mates was shrunk. And that is why everything else went wrong. That's why you left the church. That's why you didn't get married was because you just didn't have access to the proper righteous young man to keep you on the right and proper path. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. (laughs) That's amazing. In a horrible way, but like, well, and I think too, with, with Mormonism and this is not a slam and I want to make really clear that it's not a slam. It's just how it is. Um, when you have a religion that sets up eternal families, so this concept that your family will be together forever and ever and ever, if you are all righteous, right? If nobody like screws that up, uh, you will be together forever. And that is such a tenant and a comfort for people. So when you have someone that leaves, I think parents get caught in this really awful dichotomy of having to choose like, okay, am I going to say that my child who I love is the worst human being ever? and damn to hell, and like, I'll never see them again. Or Mm -hmm. do I want to find something to blame this situation on so that I can both be angry about it, I can both, I can grieve that I won't have them in eternity, Mm -hmm. but I also don't have to say that my child is the worst thing on the planet. And so, yes, the things that people come up with of like, this is why, right? Like, this is the cause. Like, I know my... And I'm debating whether I should say this or not, but I'm, yeah. My mom is positive that the reason that my sister left the church was because Mm -hmm. of one of her friends, that it was her influence, that it was all her fault, which is not the case at all. Like, it's so not the case, but my, my mom really needs that or at least needed it in the past. Right. So, because it can't be my sister's fault because that's very, very Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. Yeah. And that, I mean... I, she probably still thinks that, uh, about, you know, not finding a husband and that being a, a major factor of, as to why I left. Um, but it, leaving is, is also really hard because they assume that you are a, you've been offended because when okay. I, you know, when you, you have to submit like a letter and stuff, and then they send one back saying, We're, we apologize for whoever offended you. I'm like, well, you didn't read my letter because it had no, it had nothing to do with anybody else besides me. And I guess Joseph Smith. Right. Because <laughs> right. I thought he was weird. <laughs> right. Um, and I don't, I don't believe in like, I don't, I just didn't believe in what he said and what he did. And I realized that at the very end of like when we were roommates, I realized that I I was like, I've been repeating what people have been telling me my entire life. Right. And it kind of hit me in, in, um, fast and testimony meeting one day. Um, because I was like, uh, I was a frequent flyer of fast and testimony meeting. You could all, you could usually count on me to like, pop up and say something and, um, cry. Right. And I realized, I was like, I, I've been doing this. My dad would, would whisper things to me when I was three at this meeting. 
Because yeah. some people aren't going to know what this meeting is. And I think the whispering thing is significant. So explain what it is and what you mean by your dad whispering you. Because it's literal okay. and people are probably thinking it's Yeah, it's they're like, not. what's going on? <laughs> so fast and testimony meeting. The first Sunday of the month, right? You are, like many religions, fasting is a part of Mormonism, right? So the first Sunday of the month, you fast to get closer to God. So you don't eat. Um, and instead of having a planned, um, presentation during the church meeting, the the main congregational meeting, um, it's left to the members of the congregation to share a personal story that happened that month or some, a, a recent revelation or whatever it is that they want to talk about. They can talk. Yeah. And the, the point is, is to give stories that that have built your testimony and made your testimony stronger. Although that's not always how that breaks right. down, but that's the goal. <laughs> right. That's, that's the goal. And then usually I, I always remember this and it's all like everybody waits for the, for the three-year-olds or, you know, somebody really young to come up and they have a little booster stand for that, them to come up and they usually come up with a parent and then the parent whispers in their ear and then so you hear the whisper and then you, I know the church is true. Yeah. <laughs> I love Jesus or whatever, you know, yeah. and they, they say this and then those children are showered with attention after that meeting. Oh yes. It's such a, Oh, you're so adorable. How sweet. That was the cutest thing ever. Even though they're, parroting literally parroting whatever their parent has said but right. but the significance of showered with attention is very important because yes you were taught this mm -hmm. is valuable this is how you get value is to stand up right. here and it's share positive yes. attention right um and so i was taught you know i saw other kids doing that and getting attention and i wanted extra attention so of course i went up and i did that right and as soon as I could, because I was a pretty imaginative child, I could do that by myself without my dad whispering and just remember what other people said and repeat that. Right. Um, and then it became a habit because everybody, you know, even when you're not a child, if you go up there and you um, say something, especially if you cry and get emotional, people are going to come up to you and give you a hug and um, again, shower you with attention. Right. And so it's just this really horrible mechanism in which to teach people how to um, get affirmation from their peers, right? Right. Like, right. Yeah. And so, and that was, you know, I realized I was like, I've been, I've been parroting my whole life. Right. And I'm not going to do it anymore. And then I completely stopped because I didn't have anything to say. And I realized I didn't believe in, I'm like, this is weird. This is, now I don't know if this is true, but I know they grew OPM where Joseph Smith was. And I, I may, I don't know. <laughs> You're like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I know. Now I'm going to be like the conspiracy theorist or whatever. But like, you know. whether, whatever he was doing, whatever he was doing, I just don't believe that it was, it was, uh, you know, 
my cup of tea. How about that? Because I know I'm not here to, to bash Mormonism right. or anything like that because my whole family still is, and I, I have a lot of respect for them. Um, but I still, I do not, um, I just don't understand. I just don't understand it. Yeah. And you came to this realization. So the end of your associate's degree at Rick's or after that, when did it? That's when I was, um, that's when I was really questioning. And then I decided to join the military. And actually when I was in boot camp, I was, I was still very active because in boot camp, you get a break for three hours if you decide to go to church. Uh So a lot of, like, I think a lot of people thought I was like conveniently religious, but it was still like, and you know, going through a hard time, um, and being raised in a religious household, it was very natural for me to lean on religion, um, during hard times. Right. And so it was, and I mean, I don't think that there's really anything wrong with leaning on something during hard times. Right. And so that's a completely natural, yeah, thing to do. Yeah. Um, but then once I got, you know, to my first, um, duty station in, in California, like, then I was like, okay, I I'm, I'm not invested in this. And now I'm like, what is everybody talking about? I don't know what any of these things are. And I had absolutely zero exposure to anything because of all of that. Like, oh, life, like not, not church. You mean like reality without being sheltered? Right. Okay. Yeah. Reality without that shelter, because I went from one sheltered upbringing to another, you know, to the shelter of Rick's, Rick's college. Right. And then I lived with my sister for a while under the shelter of her, you know, influence. At the time she wasn't, um, living, um, a Mormon lifestyle, but still, I mean, she had kids and, you know, it I'm there right now. It like, it's really not like I'm really fun. Right. <laughs> going out and doing a lot of um, cool things, um, which is, you know, it's just a stage of stage of life. That's okay. Um, but then, then, then all of a sudden the world was my oyster and I had absolutely no tools and absolutely no information and mm-hmm. no support system and nobody to ask. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because you can't call your mom and be like, so I'm thinking about hooking up with a guy. Right. How do I be about sex? Because we, we had that conversation when I was younger because I had been on birth control from acne. My mom was certain. She was like, you're going to go and have sex. I'm like, mom, I just want to have clear skin. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know, and, um, cause I had no, I, I had no interest. Um, and I did, you know, yeah, I did start, start having sex and, and I wasn't impressed. Like it was not, I was like, <laughs> I wasn't impressed. <laughs> You're like, so this is what that was about. Hmm. <laughs> And then what's it? So to go back to this whole Mormonism thing, I did think that there was something wrong with me. What do you because mean? when I had sex and I was like, I must have done something wrong. 
if it, because it wasn't as awesome as everybody was talking about. See, so I right. must, yeah, yeah, I must have done something wrong. So you were, wait, okay, I, this is mind-blowing to me. So you were exposed to, like, sex is beautiful and amazing conversations? Because that is not the conversations I got. Um. Well, I mean, I'm talking to my peers, my 21-year-old peers who are, who are sex-obsessed. Okay. It's not, it wasn't beautiful, but it was all anybody ever wanted. Okay, that? okay. I thought you meant, like, growing up, you had gotten, like, sex is great, and I'm like, Really? Because I got like sex is, you know, scary and right. It's scary and horrible. And then my oldest sister got married and she had questions and my mom was too embarrassed to answer them. And and so my sister's like, the rest of the kids aren't going to go through this this way. We're going to talk about it. She made my mom talk about it. Right. Um, But it was more of a mechanics like you can get STDs. You can, because right. I think, again, it was like I was on birth control strictly from a face. Like, right, right. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm like, oh, what, what are you talking about? Like, and she's trying to talk about condoms. And I'm like, what? You, right. <laughs> because that was scary and, yeah. and, and weird and gross. And nobody really made it seem that way within my is they made it they didn't make it seem any different within my family right you know, or within anyone within the church okay and so I didn't have any girlfriends to ask about it because again right. like there we're, we kind of I feel like I really strayed from what we planned on talking about initially but no we're um, all good <laughs> But really, to kind of bring it back, I didn't have other women in my life that I could talk to about it, that I really needed. Right. Right. Because that's, you know, you need your girlfriends to talk to about just about everything, I think. Right. But this is actually that. But that, but that's new. So this is actually exactly where we were going to go that you totally. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about that. The, you've mentioned a couple of times now. Yeah. Like competition with women, um, not feeling close to women, not feeling like you had girlfriends that you could call and yeah, be like, what's, what's going on with this? Or, you know what, that sex like totally sucks. Like, let's talk about it. Um, and I think if I had to guess that there will be people who are like, so what? You didn't like women. Like, why are you blaming it on religion? Right. Cause that's where mm-hmm. we're, that's where we're going is this tie in. And I completely understand the tie in. And so I'm really excited to talk about this because it's something that is not talked about a lot. Like it's something that I, as when we did our pre-interview and you brought it up, it was crazy. Cause I was very aware of it. Cause I'd had a couple of really mind-blowing experiences on my own that I may or may not share depending on Mm -hmm. where we go but like um so it was a topic that I was aware of and yet at the same time one that did not click with me that should be discussed because I think I thought that was just my own experience that like I had taken these things and I had twisted it in this way and that in my life, this is how it presented. And as you were talking, I was like, oh my God, like, it's not just me. This is a cultural thing that creates this idea. So let's talk about, so when did you, so at some point you started embracing feminism, feminism mm-hmm. and those belief systems. Um, mm-hmm. 
and then started realizing kind of how messed up this relationship yeah. with women um, mm-hmm. was. So yeah, you have the floor, woman. Let's talk about it. <laughs> no pressure, right? I'm like, and go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I really feel, I, I do not think it's solely in a religious context, mm-hmm. this um, discouragement of women connecting with one another. Right. I, I think we can all agree that we see it all the time in, you know, in, in social media, in advertising, in movies, in everything. Women are always, there's always a love triangle. Women are always competing with one another. You know, there's always, not all, I guess not always, but very frequently, um, it is an underlying theme that we see and experience all, all of the time. And I do think that, especially with my experience with religion, it definitely exacerbated that competitive spirit, if you will. And um, the, the, the shame of it to me is that now that I have realized that and I've been able to overcome that, the relationships that I've been able to develop are some of the most important relationships of my life. And I I could have had that. I feel like I could have had that if we didn't have this underlying part of society. And I do think it's patriarchal in nature. Mm -hmm. I do um, think that, you know, it does help men stay in power and control if they have women squabbling for whatever whether it be attention, whether it be the CEO spot, whether it be, you know, who's the best mom, like as long as we're squabbling about something, they can go, go along and continue to have, have maintain their, this imbalance of power that I, that I have witnessed. And I, I really, the one thing that I'll say, like, if you don't see that imbalance of power, I'm really sorry. Cause it's, it's, you know, actually I'm not sorry. It's there. Yeah, it is. And you, you, you really need to see it. Yeah. So let's talk about, I think that sometimes when, when we make statements that are a end statement, right? So like we in our head have gone through A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then we just say H and people are like, well, that's ridiculous. So the idea that, you know, patriarchy likes women fighting. Yeah. If you don't have all the pre, like the, the, all the points before that, it's just like, okay, like how how would that even be right because it's not like you know yeah they just you know threw two women in a ring and we're like go and we're like i hate you like that's not yeah. that's not how that happens so let's talk about the build-up here like what are some mm-hmm. some points and things that le- lead to this so that we can then talk about the actual impact on each of us, because I think that's so significant, right? Is, is mm-hmm. what is the cost? Like, cool, it's happening. So like, let's explain it's happening. But then what is the cost? Like, why do we care? Why does this matter? Right, right. So I think it, we already talked about a lot of things, at least within a religious context. Um, the, the, the competitive nature of, of church in general and having to be perfect 
and having um, to compete against your peers all of the time for attention. Um, you know, in the college setting, competing against your peers for the right, for the right man. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and dating and, and it all being in this one soup, like it's all yeah. happening all in, you know, one, one area. Um, and it's complicated and it's yucky and it, it doesn't make anybody, I don't think it makes anybody feel good. And then in, in the Mormon culture, you just continue on with that, you know, who has the best house. When yeah. I worked for the United Way of Salt Lake um, at the time, so this was in 2004, 2005. So this is old info. But at the time, Utah had like the highest bankruptcy rate in the nation, in the nation, because mm. everybody was buying, everybody was buying homes when they were 21 years old that they could not afford because God forbid they raised a family in an apartment. Right. Right. That was not right. It was. Well, and, and she, it's not ideal for a lot of people, but a lot of people do it too. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know? So it, that competitive nature just, just continues. Um, and I experienced it in, you know, outside of religion, um, in the Marines. Oh my God. It was, it was horrible because there were so few of us. Mm-hmm. Um, we should have, and I do have, like, I have some of the best friends in the world that I made from that experience. And some of them, when I was in, we did not, we hated each other because we were competition. Right. And now that we've gotten older and we have matured, we've re- reconnected and we're like, oh boy. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm like, boy, that I'm embarrassed. Um, and some of them didn't, you know, they didn't feel that way, but I certainly did. And I'm not proud of that, but I was always on my guard. I could not trust another woman because she's going to tell all my secrets. She's going to, you know, she's going to. Well, because when when you're competition, what, what do you not do? You do not hand the enemy your weaknesses. Right. And that is friendship, right? You Mm -hmm. hand them your weaknesses and you say, hold space for me. And I'm going to trust you so that I can be open. And yeah, you're right. Like those are not compatible. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and in, you know, I've had similar experiences in the workplace, uh, you know, so between religion, military life, um, corporate, or even fitness industry, you know, everybody is competing and hustling and, and, and doing that, doing their thing and yeah. stepping on as many people as they can to get ahead. Yeah. Well, and people will say like, okay, but that's Western culture and it is, but Mm -hmm. Western culture was founded on religion. Like this country was founded on religion. The culture is directly from the religious pressures and the religious belief system. Like in some ways they're separated, but in many ways they are inseparable. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I really, I really, I feel strongly that there, 
is a way, and maybe it sounds naive, but there, but I've been doing it. You know, there, there are definitely ways to get ahead and do what you want to do without stepping on other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's the way that I want to live. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I recently, I saw a little snippet. I didn't see the whole presentation. So I hope it's, um, so I hope I don't botch it, but I saw a Brene Brown, um, snippet recently. And I actually used it with my daughter. She had, she came home and there were, there were some tears about a playground, playground conversation. Um, and Brene Brown calls them candle blower outers. (laughs) So it's not very, I was like, this isn't really like it's not sleek it's not super developed like this is good for a kid like you have a candle and there are people who are trying to blow it out because they think it's gonna make theirs shine brighter right right the less candles there are the the brighter that that theirs will shine Mm -hmm. You, you know but put yourself around people who want your light to shine and maybe bring some extra fuel to to help it shine brighter because that will make yours shine brighter too right. when we lift each other up. Like I, I really, I feel very, very strongly about that. And I know that, you know, w- women who are in, um, in, you know, deeply into the Mormon religion are going to say that's what the Relief Society is for, but that's just simply not what my, my experience was with the church. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it's not just the church. There are plenty of other places where we can see it. Um, but I feel like the church magnifies it and puts you in a situation where, um, you have to, you're forced. Like we said, you can't say no to your home teachers. That means that there's something wrong. Like you can't say no to those people coming to your home. Yeah. People are going to follow up if you don't show up to church or if you leave early. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is supposed to be, which is supposed to be beautiful, right? Like look how much we care about you. Right. But what it translates into is you are not behaving as prescribed. Yeah. Therefore, something is wrong. Instead of you're a unique human with different desires and thoughts and needs that we're going to take right. into account because we love you. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I started putting my foot down years before I left because I could feel that I, I would not and this sounds so dramatic, but it's very literal. Like I could not survive the way I was going. Like it was unmaintainable. It was unsurvivable. And so one by one, I started doing things like I'm telling my home teachers, like, listen, you can't come every month. Like, and part of it was my husband was only home two Sundays a month anyway. And so then on one of those Sundays, then I have three hours of church and another two hours of home teacher sitting in my living room. And yeah, it was immediately like, well, is everything, is everything okay? Like, no, it's fine. I just don't want you in my house every month. Like, and they, and, and they would have a panic attack because they're held responsible for that too. Like they get literally lectured if their like numbers aren't high Mm -hmm. enough, right. If they're not visiting people. 
And like, I had to make an agreement. Like I was like, look, I will text you if I have a problem and you have my permission to say that you've checked in with me because you have, but like, you can't, we can't do this, but it was, it was assumed that there was something going on in the house um, Mm -hmm. that they just weren't aware of. Yeah. Okay. So we have all of these points, right? All of these Mm -hmm. things growing up. And I think some of the things are really subtle too, that we could go into forever, like the cracks in the pie thing, right? It's like, nobody said be perfect, but that's a hundred percent the message you got over Mm -hmm. and over and over and over again. Um, so you and I both actually ended up with very few, and I don't actually know, I might be speaking for you, but, but very few, if any real female relationships. Mm -hmm. And I would like to talk about really what the, what the cost of that was for us. Mm -hmm. And before, you know, I'm going to share a quick story because I think it's funny. Sometimes we don't even know what we're missing. Um, but we just know something is wrong. Right. It's like I was at this book conference um, and I was with this group of amazing women. And this was recently, like this was probably five years ago, maybe, maybe six. It was, I was still in the church um, and I was in the phase of like trying to hold on for dear life. Mm -hmm. Like, so I was more Mormon than I'd probably ever been because I was like, this is falling apart, but I can't acknowledge this. So I'm going to just hold tighter to everything. And um this amazing group of women, I was making sure, yes, I was the only LDS person there. We went out to dinner um, and then we went back to the hotel where some of these ladies were staying and we were just in the lobby sitting on the couches and talking. And um, one of these women who is such a dear friend of mine now, like I would have called her a friend there then, but now it's, it's much, mm-hmm. much more. Uh, she was telling a story in front of the group and it was quite a performance like so we're all laughing like she is like mm-hmm. I can't even remember I think she was pretending she was an owl because one had jumped into her path and it's like full like wings <laughs> like she's like making all the gestures and like telling the story and like hopping around and we're laughing and she, so much energy and all of a sudden she stops in the middle of this story and goes <gasps> Morgan has something to say and she runs across the room and she kneels at this other woman's feet and like puts her hands on her knees and is just looking at her like, what, what, what do you need? And I am baffled because one, I don't understand what just happened. I don't understand how she knows that Morgan had something to say. So I'm, I'm watching this scene with like, almost from like a third party, like what is, what is happening? And I realized that, that Morgan has her, her fingers crossed. Um, and I'm so confused that I actually say, I was like, how did you know? Like, is it her fingers? And Morgan has this like just super scrunched up look on her face. And she's like, yeah, this is what I do when I'm trying to remember something that I want to say later. And I don't know how to describe what happened, but it was in that moment, like my whole world spun out a little bit because what I saw in front of me was the most beautiful, I'm going to cry, the most beautiful representation of female love and support and caring and legitimate concern for one another that I had never experienced before. Like to see two people love each other in such a way and have that a female bond that was so apparent that I had not been a part of, I just started bawling. Like Mm -hmm. 
And everyone around me is very confused. Like you can see them looking back and forth between like these two women and me being like, what is, are you okay? Like what is happening? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And when I left, like I really driving home, I thought about it the whole way home. I thought about it for a couple of days after, because what I was in was one, I felt, um, I felt robbed, frankly. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, like I don't, I've never experienced this, this, and I, and a desperation because now I wanted it. Now I wanted it. And I didn't know quite how to get it because I had no experience. And now that I have so many of these beautiful female friendships, I have become so acutely aware of how critical they are to our own growth, to our own development, to having the strength to find our own voices. Like there are so many aspects here. And I know when we talked, you had expressed a similar thing of the value that you hold in these female relationships. Um, so yeah, what, like, what was, what was your experience around this? Not having not had it and now having it now, like how has that changed things? I mean, it's crucial to my survival. My, I, and I, I think I'm confident there are people that would disagree, but my husband is not my everything. Mm. He's not the answer to all my questions mm-hmm. either. And all, and he is not equipped to handle all of my needs as a person, uh-huh. nor am I capable of being the same to him. Right. Uh-huh. So, um, I think friendship is important for, for everyone. An emotional con- connection is important for everyone. Um, and I'll, I'll get into my experience, but I also, I think, I, I know I didn't answer your question about feminism, oh, and equality, which is, which is really, you know, really important, but that, that ties into that. But let me, let me talk about my personal experience and the value that I have for female friendships first, mm, and yeah. then we can get to that other part, because, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because I, I think it's important too, but, um, you know, growing up and being a young adult, having those ideas about women not being, um, not really being my friend, right? Isolated me for sure. Yeah. And um, it was lonely, you know, in my bio, I, I, I kind of, you know, hinted at it, feeling like a fish out of water because I was raised Mormon in a place where there weren't a lot of Mormons. And then I was raised with, with these notions of, you know, of distrust for some of the people that could have been the, you know, just very valuable people in my life, but I wasn't able to trust them. Right. Because I had that inherent idea that, you know, my female peers were really out to get me or were my competition. Right. Um, And I think one of one of the ways that exacerbated that is, you know, I just thought of this growing up in, you know, in a place where there weren't a lot of Mormons. 
and going to dances when you're 14. So in the Mormon religion, you they, they have dances that you can only go to when you're 14. Right. If you're younger, you cannot go, right? Right. Um, and those became very, very important to me. And many congregations would meet at like a central location to have these dances. And so I found myself chasing these boys um, and other girls were chasing the same boys again, because so it became so centered around finding a romantic partner that I completely ignored all of the, mm. I'm sure, wonderful, beautiful, valuable, you know, young women that were around me because I was so busy trying to get attention from a boy because that was the most important thing, right? Getting married is the most important thing. Right. And so, um, I missed out because I, you know, I was trying to get to know, you know, these boys who, you know, there really wasn't much to them. Sorry guys. Well, you were 14. I mean, like, how old is there Between the ages of 14 and 18. And um, it's just, it's just, for me, it made me hyper-focus on that. It, it made me boy crazy in this weird way. And I know a lot of girls are boy crazy. You know, it's, it's fine to like, like whoever you want. um like boys but but it was just this extreme focus and I rarely gave time and made time for friendships right and so um I feel like I missed out big time and in many many ways throughout my life by not feeling comfortable with connecting with other girls when I was a little girl and with other women when I was, was a young woman. And so when I had problems, when there were, when things were going down, I didn't have anybody to talk to. Right. Right. I didn't have anybody to lean on. And especially as someone who um, left the church and who was, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate in the fact that my parents are very loyal to family. Cause I know in many cases, a lot of people, if they leave the church, their, their family kind of turns their back on them. Right. That was not my experience. Um, but also, you know, I had things happen in my life that I wasn't comfortable talking with my parents about. Right. Um, and I really didn't have anywhere to turn because I didn't have a group of girlfriends that I trusted. And really, it was my fault because I didn't put the work in to um, to cultivate those relationships. Right. And now when, you know, I have a group of women that I talk to every day, a couple groups, and they help me maintain my sanity. They hear me bitch about my day, about the important things, about the little things, about, you know what I mean? Yeah. And if, 
if I'm really having a hard time, I can tell them I'm having a hard time. Right. And that's, you know, again, this, this whole persona of perfection um, that I know is not just a Mormon thing. Yeah. Talk to friends um, about you know, this opportunity of talking, you know, talking to you on the podcast. And they've tell, told me stories about the ways in which they have been expected to be perfect, or maybe yeah. their parents have been expected to be perfect. And, you know, yeah. the way a thumb has just continued to push, push them down and they can feel it. And it's, yeah. and it's real. And I think it's important to talk about because someone will obviously not have my exact experience. They may have a similar experience, but maybe not. But the conversation could help them understand their experience a little better and be like, oh, oh, well, that thing. Right. That's the thing that held me back. And it's not going to be the same thing as me. Yeah. But it's going to be something. And we're all... We're just a lot more similar than we are different. Yes. And I think we're always taught, well, oh, well, she's, she's skinny. So she doesn't know what it's like Mm -hmm. to be me or she, she cooks perfectly. So she, or she has a, a perfect job or she's the perfect mother. So she just doesn't understand what it's like to have a hard time with parenting or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. It's yep. all, we, we are more similar than we are different. Yeah. And we're taught that we're more different than, than we are. Yeah. There's just absolutely no way that we could understand each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think too, and I'm kind of, let's see if we can, I can get this out. Cause it's one of those things where I'm starting to put pieces together, but I haven't like locked them in yet. Yeah. Whenever we are in a place of guilt, of shame, which is perfectionism, right? Like we didn't do that well enough. We don't look perfect enough. Um, Our potentiality is completely locked down, right? Like you, you are so caught in this place of not good enough, needing to be perfect. I'm such a loser, whatever that we actually are far from being able to achieve who we really Mm -hmm. and actually are. Um, I think the only way to achieve who we really are is to embrace that imperfectness, to embrace our weaknesses along with our strengths. And when we have a group of women around us, this is what becomes possible because now, like you said, like, why, why does it matter if you've got somebody to, you know, bitch to about this stupid ass thing happens today? But what it really yeah. is, is it's you allowing yourself to pull down those walls and saying, mm-hmm. I am acceptable in all of my ways, right? I am acceptable right. when I'm snippy. I am acceptable when I'm amazing. Like I'm acceptable in all of these places. And these women are speaking back to you and saying, you're right. You are acceptable. And I fucking love mm-hmm. you exactly mm-hmm. as you are. And the more times that happens, the stronger each and every person in that group becomes and the more capable yeah. and the more brilliant and the more amazing because we just start unlocking ourselves because we can look at it because it's not scary anymore, right? Because like I already showed them and it was beautiful. Right. And and they share their struggles and their, yes. you know, moments too. So then it, it makes 
you know, it normalizes, oh yeah, right. so she isn't always perfect. She isn't always great. Or even I have, you know, had the opportunity to use similar tools that, yes. you know, um, a friend used to help me. Then I use that same thing to right. help somebody else. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, so I'm in, I'm in school right now and I was very stressed about the new this last semester that I just did. And a friend of mine, you know, she talked to me and she like, she kind of yelled. She's like, don't you dare talk to my friend, Catherine, like that. Cause I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know. And she's like, don't you dare. She did this and she did like she, and she got really firm and I was like, okay. (laughs) Okay. I'll be nice to myself. later a friend of mine called and she's like I am having a hard time and I went over there and she was talking badly about herself and I that's the first thing and she and she's like whoa <laughs> yes yeah but it's so effective so you know and I hope somebody can watch this and be like oh that is a really good yeah. tactic and we can you know yeah we can use that to build each other up because um obviously all of these other issues aside, you know, I'm working real hard in therapy on my perfectionism because it has, like you said, it has held me back. Um, and my group, my, you know, my female friends understand that in a way that my husband doesn't. Right. Right. Cause he, those, those pressures were not placed on him. He has, he has no idea. So he can listen and he does. Um, but it, you know, it, it hits different when somebody says, I understand. Yeah. And this is how I handled it. Or this is how I reacted to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think in that vein, you said something earlier and I made a note to mention it if it came up again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is perfect. So and I know oh, I'm, I need to figure out who said this. I had a friend who told me this, but she got it from an expert. So this is someone yeah. smart that has said this, that I don't know who to credit for it. So please, this is not, this is not me. I am not coming up with this. Um, but she was saying that she had listened to this podcast or read a book. I can't remember. And they were explaining how, you know, in ancient history, or I don't even know how ancient, but in the past, um, women didn't go to their husbands for everything, right? Like we had a village. So like, if I am super pissed about the way this professor treated me, cause he is a jerk. Like I'm going to call Kat, who is my little feminism rock star. Who's going to be like, he can't talk to you like that. Like, what are you doing? Right. And if I need to learn how to bake a pie, I'm going to go over here. And if I need to like get advice on my kids, so I don't know what to do. I'm going to go over here. Um, which makes sense, right? Cause we all have our strengths and then we have areas that we're like, dude, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. I'm here for you, but I don't, I don't know right. what to say to right. you right now. Um, but somewhere along the way that has flipped and yes, we, and I think this is, I, I mean, this is prevalent a lot of places, but I feel like Mormonism, I see it almost exclusively where it's the spouse, right? No, you go to your spouse, you go to your husband, you go to your spouse. And maybe that's tied into eternity. I don't know. But, um, but it's ridiculous. 
Yes. Well, and the priesthood. Oh my God. Yeah, no, I think you're right on the money on that one. Um, but we, we expect this poor man to be able mm-hmm. to like pay the bills, right? Make sure that he were righteous so we can get to heaven, but also yeah. know how to handle every issue I've come up with, like emotionally support me, uh, be an expert advisor and, you know, ABCDEFG, which is absurd. Mm-hmm. Nobody right. can do that. And so both of us are left unsatisfied. Whereas mm-hmm. when, if we can resurrect this idea of a feminine community and a female relationships and friendships that are deep and true and meaningful, yeah, we all grow. We all benefit because mm-hmm. we are able to actually help each other. Right. And like you said, then that just passes down and passes down and passes down. Mm-hmm. Like it's the, the power within a female community is almost uncalculable, like the good mm-hmm. that it can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. Just beautiful. It is. And um, I'll, I'll slide right into feminism now. I was <laughs> so, actually going to see if that yeah. was going to go. So go. Yes. Perfect. Um, and it wasn't, you know, feminism isn't something that I really gave a lot of thought to when I was younger. If, if you would have asked me, I probably would have told you they were a bunch of bra burning hippies or something. I really, um, cause I know they did that. And I think if you don't want to wear a bra, don't wear a bra. Like, right. <laughs> let's, let's be clear, but, um, becoming a mother definitely, um, helped me understand a lot of the issues that women face. Um, and also it learning, um, and I bought a book, a kid's book about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and we read it and I was like, oh, oh this is what feminism and equality is. Oh, <laughs> Don't you I love it as an adult, you have this <laughs> and you're like, wow, what would my life have been like? Had I realized that 27 years ago? Right. Right. <laughs> and, and really, so to me, um, feminism is about equality for everyone and giving everyone the opportunity to, to live the way that they feel most comfortable within the means that they have. Right. And, and, and helping to provide a more comfortable living space for everyone too. Right. Right. So it's, it's, it's very broad, but you know, in, in this context that we've been talking about, I think the things that you have said also hit the nail on the head with without female friendships, you're relying on your partner for every single thing. Um, or, you know, you're living in this traditional life where I know not everybody lives this way, but a lot of people still do where the man goes out and works and that's his job. He supports his family and that's an important, um, part of, um, being an adult and is paying your, you know, paying your bills and making sure that you're financially stable in every way that you can. But then they're missing out on learning, knowing how to cook a good meal, interaction with their children, interaction with their partner. And, you know, what if, what if he's not fulfilled by that aggressive work day? Maybe he'd be better served 
cooking more or do whatever it is. And it's, it just leaves to me, it leaves the door open Yeah, for whatever makes you feel fulfilled and to build a life that works best for your family Mm -hmm. instead of having these boxes that you're automatically placed into. Yeah. Because so many people don't fit into those boxes. And sometimes you don't know, like in my experience, I had a child and I was lucky enough to, you know, and we were, we, between privilege and working hard, we were in a position where I didn't have to work. And it was a mistake for me to not work. But it was that idea of, oh, well, you, you know, you need to be home with, with your child and snuggling that baby. Um, and I love my daughter very deeply, but that was not the right choice for me. Right. Right. I love, first of all, I love that when you got into feminism, and this is exactly what you did when we talked about it earlier, was you went right into also, what about the men? Like everyone's getting screwed here, right? Like this is not right. just a female issue. This is everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and also this idea, like if you, if you want to stay home and snuggle your babies and this is your idea of bliss and you are fulfilled, good on you. Like that's amazing do it. Right. Then that's feminism is do what fulfills you, but that it's also okay. And not even more. Okay. I think it's really, really important that we're also allowed to say, this is not for me and Mm -hmm. I can still be a good mother. Right. By leaning on the areas where I am actually a good mother instead Mm -hmm. of being forced into situations that do nothing but show my glaring weaknesses and not, not, and I don't mean show by like, Oh, that's embarrassing. I mean, nobody's benefiting from this, right? Like your child is not benefiting from you being a disaster, right? This is not Mm -hmm. actually helpful. Um, But that is, that's like the forbidden thing. Like we're not allowed to say that we're not allowed to say that motherhood isn't our greatest joy and that we, you know, wish that maybe we, we had a part-time job or a full-time job or whatever it is. I think all Mm -hmm. of this is so, so, so important. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so, you know, I, because that's, you know, what society said, I didn't even think twice about it. And then I was, I was really stuck. And then the pandemic happened and I was even more stuck. Right. Because I had gotten back to work, gotten some of those things that I I really needed. Um, be a whole like person. you said, everyone yeah. was happier. Everyone was happier when I was working. It wasn't right. just about me. Um, and things were, you know, a little bit more chaotic, but not a lot. Um, and then to have that taken away a second time was really, really hard. And I know there have been a lot of studies done uh, with, you know, the impact on women and their careers that, that, that the pandemic had. And it's, it's devastating. Yeah. It's, it's devastating again for everybody because you're forcing someone into a position and where it's not, that I didn't just not shine. It wasn't just not my favorite, 
like it threw me into like I was getting out of a really deep depression and then it tossed me right right back in there and so I just want to be really clear with you know what somebody that might be a naysayer it's not like a convenience like this this was Mm -hmm. a a very deep or an inconvenience for me to just not have Mm -hmm. um not have my job anymore and to, to go back to full-time parenting. It, it was detrimental and it was detrimental for many, many years. And we were lucky again, that we had made the choices that we made so that we weren't in financial ruin because of that situation. So, you know, it's, and women got me through that, right? Because I was I was right. not great to be around. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you, and we actually haven't talked about this, um, but I know I mm-hmm. experienced it. So you are, you're staying at home because that's quote unquote the right, right thing to do, mm-hmm. right? And you realize this isn't working for mm-hmm. me. Um, and then you're thrown back in that situation of, again, like, this is not working for me. Um, and I know you said you were in mm-hmm. a depressed, like very depressed state mm-hmm. and really struggling. Did you feel a sense of shame oh. around that oh, experience? Yeah. A thousand percent. Yeah. Because yeah. and again, you know, it's that, that expectation of, and and I should find joy in finding the, the best activities for my daughter to mm-hmm. do during the day. And I should, it's all, you know, living a life of shoulds. Right. Which is the worst word mm-hmm. ever. I had a counselor say to me once, and I, that I don't think this is new. I don't think she came up with this, but um, I was in a, a should rant of, of yeah, should mm-hmm. do this, should do that. And she just looked at me and she said, Debrie stop shooting all over yourself. And it was the first, right? It's the first time that I was like, oh, oh my God, that I, I made the connection and I realized that that's exactly what it felt like, mm-hmm. right? Is it, it, it is, it's, it's shitting all over yeah. yourself. So you're just shooting all over yourself and um, getting rid of that word in my vocabulary mm-hmm. for like 95% of the time has shifted things entirely because it is so destructive, right? And like, how much did that feed into your depression? Oh, All oh, the shit. It, it fed into it every day. Yeah, because you can, because you, then when you're in this place of should, like we can't accept, this is a situation that is not mm-hmm. optimal. This is a situation that I need to repair as soon as possible. It becomes a, what is wrong with mm-hmm. me? Why can't I do this the way everyone else can do this? Why can't I do this properly? Why can't I feel the feelings that I'm supposed to be feeling? Which is beyond toxic. Like it is soul destroying for anyone that is in that situation. And to get to a point where we understand that we all are unique Mm -hmm. individuals with different strengths Mm -hmm. and that all of those things are okay. Like- I came to the conclusion way later than I wish I would have. Cause I same like, why don't I like 
playing with my kids? Like, why don't I like sitting down and playing blocks or, you know, Mm -hmm. coloring with them? Like, why can't, and I was in a massive depressive state at this point Mm -hmm. in my children's life. So this did not help. But at one point it was so funny. I I was talking to another parent and she had um, Mm -hmm. teenage children. And as she is, she is falling apart over what is happening, like in their lives. Like she's, she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know how to handle it. And I just like, I just wish they were babies. I just wish they right. never grew up, which from the beginning, I can't even tell how, so I'm going to be all over the place in the story. Good Lord. Okay. Pull it together, Debbie. Um, from the beginning, people would say, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you heard this a million times, this time goes so fast. You're going to miss it when it's mm-hmm. gone. And I remember thinking like, no. No, I won't miss this time. And I haven't. And I won't. I don't. I don't miss that time. It was not great. Um, And it's okay to not miss them being toddlers. Like, one, let's, like, paint that. Mm-hmm. Like, that is okay. But. I have um, not forgotten childbirth. To- nope. Remember every moment. <laughs> You're like. Don't want to revisit good. it. Thank you. <laughs> if you want to get. Like, yes. <laughs> I will tell you everything. <laughs> and it's not great. <laughs> No, it's not. It's not good. My second one was as good as it could possibly. First one was a nightmare and a half. Um, but uh, so I'm talking to this woman who is, yeah, an absolute disaster. And I'm thinking to myself, one, why in the hell would you want your kids to be baby get babies again? Like yeah. that is my worst nightmare. But also this is not a big deal. What you're talking about, like none of this mm-hmm. is a problem. This is how I would approach this. This is what I would say, you know, in my head, I'm just kind mm-hmm. of walking through this. And all of a sudden it hits me like, Oh my God. No, I am not a good parent of little people. Little people expose all of my weaknesses. Everything I'm not good at, everything I don't excel at is what a little person needs. But a teenager, now now all of a sudden we are in my Mm -hmm. comfort zone, right? Like now I can be a very exceptional Mm -hmm. parent where I can sit down with these kids and I can be understanding. I can have deep conversations with them. I can, I can open their eyes to like, Hey, yeah, this kid at school Mm -hmm. is an asshole, but maybe he's an asshole because blah, 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 blah. And you you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden, everything that I'm very, very good at is making me a very Mm -hmm. good parent. And I was like, Oh my God, like nobody, I don't think nobody is a good parent to both groups of people because they are completely different skill sets. They are completely different needs for personality. So why in the hell are we teaching women that we need to be domestic goddess angel parents from the time they exit our womb till the time we hit the grave. This is asinine. Mm -hmm. It is not possible. And yet we should the shit out of ourselves every day. Mm -hmm. And we wonder why we are depressed, anxious, angry people. Yeah. Yeah. That was my rant for the day. You're welcome. (laughs) I'm going to step off the soapbox now. One I think if more people accepted that and realized that the amount of guilt we would all set yeah. down. Oh my God. Like it would be like this collective sigh of like, you know what? I'm kind of sucking it up right. a little bit right now, but I'm doing my right. best day, which is mm-hmm. all I can do. And I'm going to rock their socks off in five years 
And these mothers who are like the most amazing people that I'm looking at and being like, why can't I be like you are going to be knocking on my door being like, I don't know what to do with this teenage child. Like, please help me. Which again is the beauty of female friendships, right? right? Is so that we can step in and out of each other's lives in these moments and be like, Mm -hmm. I got you. This is what Mm -hmm. you say. This is what you do. Have you looked at it like this? Like take a breath, right? Step back, take a breath. It's going to be, it's going to be okay. And having, having people with a wide variety of age, age groups. So now, you know, I have women in my life who, when we knew each other, when we were in our twenties, they were pregnant. And so now their child is at college. And so, you know, they're reliving a little bit when I ask a question and they can say, this is what I did. Or even these were the diapers that worked like, right. Like, forget Pampers, the Walmart ones were the best. Like <laughs> they were right. <laughs> you know, yeah. just from those yeah. little things. And then the, the other thing that I um, could not stand, even though it was true and I try really hard to not say it is it gets worse. <laughs> Oh, see, and you want to know what's funny? I am the person that is always there being like, I disagree. I disagree. But it's because this is why I I hate that. Yeah, I hate that because one, like, yes, let's just throw crap on people when they're down, right? Like, you think this is bad? Like, let's just wait till they're 17. But again, that ties back to what are you good at? Because for me, it did not Mm -hmm. get harder. For Like, I have an 18-year-old and an almost 16-year-old now. And the last three, four years have been the easiest parenting I have ever had to do because it's my, it's in my skill set. It's in my wheelhouse. This isn't hard for me. I mean, I still cry about being a shitty parent sometimes. I've totally fucked my kids up. I'm sure of it. But so, yeah. So to say that to someone is just like one, not nice, but two, not true. Right. Cause I not remember true. people would say that when I was, when I was pregnant, cause I had a hard time. Um, I don't, I don't know many people who actually love being pregnant. I'm not sure how this like goddess. I want to punch them in the face. Think uh, like I, I, I think it's a trope. Um, <laughs> most women that I know are like, <laughs> I this know is horrible, so. and I don't like it. One person in my life has said, "Oh, I do." Like she's, it was my sister. She's like, oh. "I know, I know some people." Because, yeah, pregnancy is the worst thing yes. on planet Earth. <laughs> and, again, good for you if you're that person. But also this, this um, and I didn't mean to say it like good for you. But it kind of feels like it. <laughs> Wonder, that's wonderful. But that's not, uh, you know, at least from, from what I know, it's not common. And don't expect it to yeah. be wonderful. Yeah. Because there is this expectation of like, are you so happy you're expecting? No, I'm scared. I'm miserable. I'm in pain. I'm throwing up. I can't. I can't. No. Right. And in my case, I had miscarried and then got pregnant again. And I think I just kind of had looming postpartum depression from the first. And so, and then I was very anxious about losing the baby again. And then I didn't want to, then what do you do? Do you tell? Do you not tell? Do you what? Like, and so there was that underlying, you know, I'm already prone, you know, I'm already kind of worked up 
like prone to be anxious type of type of personality anyway. And then that just made it a lot worse for me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, I talk openly about that experience for a lot of different reasons, because I needed access to abortion medicine to help me Mm. miscarry because, because I didn't want to do it naturally because my body was still acting like it was pregnant and it was literally driving me crazy. Right. Like not like I was uncomfortable. I was sad. Like I was losing my mind. Well, yeah, you're trying to grieve Mm -hmm. a baby, but your body is still behaving as if the baby is still there. That would be horrific. Yeah. And so, wow. Um, yeah, it's it's just, and even despite circumstances like that, I'm gonna go on a little soapbox choice. Yes, get on the soapbox, girl. Get on the box. Um, and 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 bodily autonomy, uh, because of all of these experiences that I have had, and how um, it has not been textbook. It has not been a, a joy. It has not been, um, easy, um, to, it hasn't always been easy to get through life and, and, and having the opportunity to make decisions that I need to about my body has been a cornerstone of, how I have gotten to where I, I, I am. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just, I cannot imagine a world or a, a country without, without that, because I, I deserve the respect and the rights um, of a person, not a corpse, of yeah. a full human being, and there are so many ways that we are still not treated like human beings, um, full yeah. human beings who have, who have the abilities to do anything that they, that they want. Um, and it, I, I just, it's unconscionable to take, take those rights away. Um, if yeah. I ha- have had an abortion, I would be like, I've had an abortion. I have not. I've I've taken the morning after pill. Um, I have used abortion medication to help me have a miscarriage that lasted eight hours and was very bloody and and horrible and painful. Um, mm-hmm. But that helped me start to to heal. Right, and we can. We cannot pull each other down as women in and, and judge each other for any type of experience that we may come across. It's just, it's playing into the notion that these outdated notions that pull us down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just can't, I, I, I just can't 
subscribe to that anymore. I can't participate in that anymore. And of course, I'm going to work hard and do everything in my power to achieve the goals, the personal goals that I have. But I can do it in a way that doesn't harm another person and doesn't push anybody else down. So. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. And I think all of this ties so well back into what you've been saying about female Mm -hmm. friendships, because one, to change the situation in this country Mm -hmm. right now, we need to stand together, right? We need the support of each other. But in addition to that, as far as respecting other people's choices and not tearing one another down, I think when we have a group of of friends and women that we love and are invested in in a non-competitive way and we are open and sharing space with, what happens is we get such a greater understanding of people who respond to things differently than us. And our minds expand out of this is what I think is right, wrong, because this is my life Mm -hmm. experience to, no, I haven't lived that, but I completely understand why that would be important. I completely understand why someone would respond like that. That's not weird. It's not out there. Like it's, it's normal and it's understanding. And I can feel love and compassion for situations that are not my own because I have felt love and compassion for the women who have Mm -hmm. owned those experiences and shared them Mm -hmm. with me. I think that this is a beautiful stopping point because I don't want to detract from the soapbox we just got on. Uh, it's a perfect, perfect soapbox. And I, I'm just going to join you up there and we're going to like wave goodbye from the top of our soapbox. I'm going to share one last thing because I, I sent you something yeah. that like, right, I saw it right after we talked. It was a, a poem by Rupi Kaur. I don't know. Oh, I can't, I don't know if I said her name, her last name correctly, but, um, it isn't blood that makes you my sister. It's how you understand my heart as though you carry it in your body. Perfect. I love you so much. Thank you. I love you too. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider taking the time to like, rate, review, and share. Let's make sure that when someone clicks on this podcast, that our voices are the loudest. Love you all. Yeah, yeah,